You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The Evrial Trojan is interested in what's on your Windows clipboard. The healthcare sector continues its struggle to recover from SamSam ransomware. People raise the possibility that Olympic timekeeping could be hacked. Russian troll farms are barking at the U.S. House Intelligence Committee and the Czech presidential runoff election. Some notes on crime and possible punishment. And there are two new theories about Satoshi Nakamoto. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, January 22, 2018. A new Trojan, Evrial, has been discovered. It can snoop through browser cookies and stored credentials, which is unpleasant but not particularly novel when it comes to crimeware. But Evrial is different in that it also scans the contents of Windows Clipboard. And it not only scans, but it can also identify and replace strings of interest in that clipboard. Criminals are using this functionality to replace strings with code that can redirect Bitcoin payments to their own wallets. Malware Hunter Team, one of the discoverers of Evrial, says that the code is being sold on Russian criminal fora for the low, low price of about $27. It's become a very popular offering in the criminal-to-criminal market. Why, one might ask, is this useful in stealing Bitcoin? Here's why. Bitcoin addresses are difficult to type. They're complicated pieces of text. So the typical way people handle the addresses is to copy them and then paste them into the relevant app that's doing the sending. Since most people don't check their cutting and pasting, the imposture is likely to succeed. We've called the motive Bitcoin theft, but really Bitcoin stands for several other kinds of strings the crooks are interested in copying. Bleeping Computer, in their useful account of Evrial, points out that the malware is configured to recognize strings that correspond to Bitcoin, Litecoin, Monero, Web Money, Kiwi addresses, and Steam items trade URLs. How Evrial is being distributed isn't clear yet, so the best advice out on protecting yourself is that old standby. Practice good digital hygiene and be especially alert for phishing attempts. This month's wave of SamSam ransomware crests in the healthcare sector. Allscripts, a leading electronic health record provider, continues its recovery from the infestation disclosed last week. Its Electronic Prescriptions for Controlled Substances, EPCS for short, was restored Saturday. But other services remain only partially recovered. Allscripts is working closely with its customers to bring their systems back online. Here's something to worry about, Olympic fans. In between the tear-jerking and inspirational stories of hard-scrabble athletes and the obstacles they've overcome to reach the Pyeongchang Games, now you can wonder if all those wireless sensors that time bobsled runs to the hundredth of a second are being manipulated by hackers to tilt the results one way or another. 
or so says an op-ed in USA Today by Betsy Cooper, executive director of the Center for Long-Term Cybersecurity at the University of California, Berkeley. And it's not just bobsledding, but also alpine skiing, speed skating, presumably luge, and maybe skeleton too. Why would someone cheat like this? Well, to speculate, there's always national pride as a motive, not to mention the prospect of lucrative commercial endorsements post-games. But here's an obvious motive. Why not just transpose anger at the Olympic Committee to an effort to discredit the whole process? It's happened with anti-doping doxing. So let the official timekeepers look to the security of their particular IOT. The game's open on February 9th. Twitter continues to notify users that they've interacted with bots from the Internet Research Agency, the now-famous St. Petersburg Troll Farm. This is part of Twitter's response to concerns about the platform's role in spreading fake news. If you know it's a bot, the thinking goes, you're less likely to credit what it's telling you. Twitter has pegged just over 3,800 accounts as Internet Research Agency trolls, and it's contacting people to let them know that they either followed or retweeted stuff from them. U.S. Senator John Cornyn, Republican of Texas, is among those who received a notice, and he's tweeted what they told him, with full approval that social media are, quote, finally waking up to manipulation of public opinion by our adversaries, end quote. In any case, Russian bots show no sign of scuttling into the darkness to avoid the light being shined on them. In fact, they appear to have shown a new flurry of activity over the weekend. Tweeting toward Washington, the bots call for the release of a FISA memorandum prepared by House Intelligence Committee staff. The memos said by the bots and others to be explosive, and perhaps good government would be served by its release, but that's not what they're interested in around Moscow and St. Petersburg. The committee chair, Representative Devin Nunez, Republican of California, is being asked to release a classified memo on alleged FISA abuses. Social media trolling is also on the upswing in the Czech Republic, as the Czechs conduct their presidential runoff elections between challenger Jira Dreos and incumbent Milos Zeman. Radio Liberty says the trolls have for the most part been snapping at Drejos with a wide mix of scurrilous and outlandish accusations. In news of cybercrime and punishment, we'll take college cut-ups for 100, Alex. And the answer is... The former history professor at Adrian College accused of hacking the college president's and vice president's email accounts. The question is, who is former Jeopardy! champion Stephanie Joss? Miss Joss, charged in December with unauthorized access to a computer, program, and network, and using a computer to commit a crime, waived a preliminary examination and will appear for a pretrial hearing in Michigan on February 28th. There's also news of the Krakas with Attitude, those madcap hacktivists with a more or less pro-Palestinian bent, who succeeded in compromising a lot of email accounts belonging to senior officials in the U.S. intelligence community. The FBI popped two of the stateside alleged conspirators back in 2016, they're Californians, but the alleged ringleader was British. Kane Gamble, the alleged head cracker, was also arrested in 2016, but he was in England. Mr. Gamble, who was only 15 years old at the time of his arrest, appeared in Leicester Crown Court last week and described how he was able to impersonate former U.S. Director of Central Intelligence John Brennan to access highly classified information. Mr. Gamble's counsel argues that the defendant is on the autism spectrum. He'll be offering, apparently, a reduced-capacity defense. 
Finally, we turn to what may be the fever swamps of wild conspiracy theory. Or are they? Sputnik News reports that Natalia Kaspersky, Eugene's ex and co-founder of their eponymous security company Kaspersky Lab, has said she knows who the real Satoshi Nakamoto is. He is, Ms. Kasperskaya says, no single person, but rather a crew of crypto experts working within the U.S. intelligence community. They created Bitcoin as $2.0, she said, the better to advance the Five Eyes' interests around the world. Crazy, no? Or is it? Other people have a different theory from another part of the fever swamp. Roughly that part that maintains NASA Goldstone is an entry portal for an underground network of caves used by gray aliens. This theory holds that Satoshi isn't even human and that Bitcoin is the work of a rogue AI. So take your pick. It seems that Satoshi Nakamoto was either Jim Clapper or Skynet. Unless those are the same person. Come to think of it, we've never seen the two of them in the same place. But that's a coincidence, right? Or is it? Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben-Salem. She's the R&D manager for security at Accenture Technology Labs. Malek, welcome back. Um, We wanted to talk today about uh, some of the challenges when it comes to deploying some of these next-generation crypto technologies. 
Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of talk about uh, post-quantum cryptography and the need for developing new quantum-safe crypto algorithms, crypto systems. NIST is working on that. Their call for new uh, algorithms. And so there's a lot of talk among the community and a lot of focus on developing those algorithms that are quantum safe and fault tolerant. Um, But there's less discussion about the journey that it will take us to deploy these algorithms once they exist. Once NIST publishes its standards for post-quantum crypto systems, how long would it take us to deploy this? I think based on prior crypto deployments, we can definitely uh, assert that this will take a very long time, probably a time by which quantum computers will be able to to break a lot of the existing crypto systems that we have today. So when you say uh, uh, take a long time, what kind of timescale are we talking about? Uh, so it's hard to predict, but uh, a recent study uh, about deployment of uh, HTTPS, for example, um, just shows that we're not there yet. You know, if you think about HTTP over TLS, that protocol, the TLS protocol has been out there since the late 1990s. Mm. Uh, SSL has been published in, in the early 1990s. But uh, according to this study, only 69% of the top 100 uh, websites do offer HTTPS. And only roughly about 50% of them offer it by default. If you look at the top 1 million websites, that number drops down to probably half of that. So we have a long journey before we adopt these secure protocols. Um, The same applies to uh, DNSSEC, so DNS security extensions. In the early 1990s, uh, Steve Bellavin um, identified a a problem with the DNS protocol, and there was an RFC published in the mid-1990s. But a recent study has also looked at the, uh, the use of DNSSEC, and they identified that it's still rather limited. Uh, for instance, while uh, a lot of the um, big domains apply it, so more than uh, 90% of the top-level domains uh, or TLDs and 47% of the country code TLDs are DNSSEC-enabled, the use of it is not deployed properly. A lot of these domains produce records that cannot be validated due to missing or incorrect records. So even if the technology exists, what I'd like to um, caution out here is that we need to work on the processes to deploy the technology. We need to work on training the individuals deploying this technology. So it's really time to start building awareness uh, about the change that needs to happen once we have these post-quantum crypto algorithms and standards. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, Good stuff as always. Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. 
Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.